Tonight, on the fly, with very special guest, soap opera veteran, Miss Leslie Kay. Now, a lot of you people, if you watch soap operas like I did, yes, I'm not afraid to admit it. I watched soap operas back in the day. I still watch them today. What few are left. She was most known for As the World Turns, for Molly Conlon on As the World Turns. But she also, and this is a good trivia question out there for some of you soap opera addicts. How many have been on three of the four CBS soap operas? I'm talking about Young and the Restless, Bold and the Beautiful, uh, As the World Turns, and God and Light. She's been on three of the four and was there for a while. She actually crossed over with when she played Felicia Forrester on Bold and the Beautiful. She was actually did a crossover with Young and the Restless playing that same role. We talk a little bit about her time with As the World Turns, Bold and the Beautiful, and on YNR, what she's doing now. And we also have talk about some of her co-stars, Martha Byrne, John Hensley, Maura West, and others. But we also talk about the time she worked at MTV and actually winning money on Wheel of Fortune. Just a great guest. Really had a great time uh, talking to Miss Kay. Hopefully we can have her on again. You guys enjoy On the Fly with Leslie Kay. Okay, guys, and I've said this before, I'm not ashamed to admit, I am a big soap opera fan, and I, like I said before, when I stayed with my grandma from 12.30 to 4 o'clock, you didn't bother her, it was all soap operas, and the only time I ever heard my grandma, one of the only two times I ever heard my grandma cuss was at a soap opera, that was at Nikki Newman, and she called her the B word, but anyway... So I kind of got hooked on these soap operas, and, and pretty much for me, it was the CBS soap operas, The Young and the Restless, uh, even back to when Capital was on. I don't know if you guys remember Capital, Bold and the Beautiful, As the World Turns, and God and Light. Now this next guest is, is, is a lovely lady that has agreed to come on the show, and we thank her so much for doing this. She And we're going to have to look this up. We were talking a little bit about this before we went on. She has been on three of those four CBS soap operas. I'm talking about she was on Bold and the Beautiful. She was on Young and the Restless. And a lot of people remember her mostly for As the World Turns. Uh, with me tonight, she played Molly Collin. She played Felicia Forrester. Is the beautiful Leslie Kay. Welcome to the show, Miss Kay. Wow, what a great introduction. Thank well, you. Well, you know, I, I speak the truth. I speak the truth. First of all, like I said before, I can't tell you enough. Thank you for agreeing to do this. You know, I grew up watching you. Uh, you know, the bad, you know, the bad Molly, Colin, and then you turned into kind of the good, girl, the good girl. Uh, and then, of course, Felicia Forrester, you took over uh, for Colleen Dion and and really made that role your own uh, on Bold and the Beautiful. And, Thank you. And you know, it's just a shame. We were talking a little bit before we started this about. Just a shame that those soap operas aren't back again. You know, you can find them on YouTube, but it's 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 nice to be able to find them on YouTube. But would love to see, especially since they're not filming now, like they're doing with the younger wrestlers. Kind of throw some uh, throwbacks of maybe as the world turns and God and light in there. Well, um, I'm going to shame them. It's Procter and Gamble. Oh, well, everybody knows it's it not is. allowing that to happen. Yeah, it's the truth. Um, every, you know, ABC owns their own shows. Right. So, One Life to Live and, AB, and, and, and I think um, all my children are coming back as primetime things for Netflix, honestly. Um, but we can't do that with Procter & Gamble shows because they won't let us. Yeah, so, a, if you want to yell at anybody, yell at Procter & Gamble or I mean, it's don't just go a, buy the product. It's just a shame that if they want to get out of it, just let it go and let somebody else take take control of you it. You would think so. Yeah. You would think so. But I said they gave it to you and they took it away. And, um, yeah, I tried. Chris Goutman and myself, we tried to do a pared-down version and take it to Netflix. And uh, Procter & Gamble said, no, we couldn't have the name. And, of course, Netflix wasn't interested if you didn't have the name. Right. So 
it wasn't, you know, it's not the same thing. Even though it's the same people, same characters, Procter & Gamble owns all that, sadly. And they won't let it go, even even if they were going to make money on it. They just don't want it to move forward ever again. <laughs> I would, uh, I would but, love to hear the reasoning behind that. I just really would. But at least sell it as a box set or, I don't know. Something, something. I feel like something like that. deserve that. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I think so. But Now, you grew up in Charleston, West Virginia, right? I certainly did. So I still have family. Okay. Okay. Well, what... Talk a little bit about growing up. I mean, with Charleston, I'm from a very, very small town in North Carolina. It's uh, probably about 110 people, <laughs> one stop right. But what was it like growing up in Charleston? Is it near? Is it near? Is it near Hendersonville? Hendersonville? No, it's not. Mm -hmm. I, I'm, Hendersonville is that near the? Is that near, uh, close to the mountains? <laughs> yes, I went to summer camp there. That's yeah, we're we're probably about. I would say two or three hours away from uh, Hendersonville. So you went to summer camp in North Carolina. Wow. And I used to be on a ski team in high school, and we ski raced in North Carolina. Okay. Okay. So, so I, I spent a lot of time in North Carolina, actually. It's beautiful. Yeah, it's very hot right now in North Carolina, I'll tell you that. Oh, yeah? Yeah. It's California is not so bad. Not so bad. Okay. We've been like 80s, days in the 80s, really like a mile back. Yeah, it's... Um, yeah. Hush. I'm sorry my dogs are barking at me. <laughs> um, so growing up, did you, I mean, did you always think you were going to turn out to be an actress? Is that something you always wanted to do since you were a, a, a kid? No. Funny you ask, but... Um, I think I said it in my horrible Emmy-winning acceptance speech, but my dad, my dad was an orthopedic surgeon, really good. He was also a corpsman in the Navy in the Korean War, Dr. Jack Pushkin, and he, I, I really wanted to follow in his footsteps and be an orthopedic surgeon. I was a dancer, I was a ballet dancer, and I thought I would be also an orthopedic surgeon. And wow. I was pre-med, and he said you should transfer, you should do something else because all medicine is going to be socialized. So you should really act. He saw me in like one play in high school, Greece, and he said, you should act. And I think it was something he maybe wished he had done or something. But anyways, I switched to theater major, went to an agricultural school, Colorado State University, because I followed a boy, really. Oh, but it okay. turned out to be a blessing. It turned out to be a blessing because the theater department, though tiny, I got to do everything. You know, I got to do lighting, makeup, sound design, everything. So I really became well-rounded, very well-rounded. And that pays itself off in gold and soap operas because you have to be fast and you have to know your blocking and you have to know where to stand for the light and you have to know when your camera's on, which camera's on. There's four cameras. You know, it's, it's, it's tricky. And that's why they use a lot of soap actors for lifetime movies because we can oh, speak yeah. quickly. Yeah. So I gotta ask you, who did you play in Greece? But so I, uh, yeah, I thought I was gonna be an orthopedic surgeon. <laughs> okay. But I ended up, okay. I ended up in theater, and and then I moved to soap opera, and I was there for a long time. But I went back to school for medicine finally in 2010. Oh wow, wow! So who who did you? What role did you play when you were in, in that? You said your dad saw you in Greece. Who did you play in Greece? Patty Simcox, because I can't sing. <laughs> that's, that's the only role I could play. <laughs> so you end up you end up going to to New York, and you actually worked at MTV. What did you do at MTV? All right, so I did my first year of college in Pittsburgh at an all girls college named Chatham College, and a friend of mine, Martha Carosa, she had, she was two years older, and she had done an internship at MTV. And, she, and I was trying to figure out what to do for the summer. I really wanted to get to New York. Um, so I <laughs> told my dad that I had an internship. My parents were divorced, and I could play them against each other, right? <laughs> Tell my mom and doing something So I told my dad I had an internship at MTV for the summer. I did not have that internship yet. Wow. I did not at all. I got on the Greyhound bus, went to New York. Somebody ripped me off. I fell asleep, and somebody took everything I had while I was on that bus. But I got to New York, and I went to um, 
I got myself a room at the NYU dorm. Somehow, I said I was a summer school student. I don't recommend this because you can get arrested. But um, <laughs> I got myself a, a dorm room, and I went to MTV, and I said, I'm here for the summer internship program. And they said, um, well, you're going to have to do it on credit. They, you're not listed here. And I was like, no, 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 I just want credit. I just want college credit. And all the other interns were paid interns. And so they were thrilled to have somebody for free. They wanted to be a gopher and do everything. So I ended up working at MTV all summer, which translated to becoming really good friends with Joe Devola, producer. All the producers loved me because I would stay and work many, many hours. I didn't leave when, you know, at five when I wasn't paid anymore because I wasn't paid at all. <laughs> so I, um, I walked everywhere because I had no money. I, I walked from, like, downtown. If anybody knows New York, I walked, like, from downtown where... NYU dorms are all the way up to West 56 where uh, MTV was shot <laughs> every morning and I stayed until late and Joe Devola ended up, this is a small world but he ended up being a big TV producer produced One Tree Hill and all sorts of stuff and I ended up working for him just a few years ago on something called Runaways which was done for internet but it, it's everywhere it, it was on airplanes, it's, it's a pretty cool series called Runaways okay, let me check it out but, um, but yeah, so what, but when I went back, they thought I was a senior and I was going to graduate and work for them. And I'm like, no, I'm a freshman. <laughs> so when I go back to school, they called me when they were on the road. So I ended up working for Hall & Oates on the road. I worked for... Oh, wow. Uh-huh. I got them their drugs and their women from the bar and brought them up to the room. And one great funny story was this woman was all excited to go up and meet Daryl Hall. I bring her up there, and I'm wandering around. And next thing I know, there's an angry husband, an angry husband running through the hallways of the hotel looking for his wife. I'm like, oh no, I think, I think, I think I know where she is. And so I went up and I pounded on the door, and she comes out, you know, half dressed, yelling. She's like, do you know he was on my list? I guess it's they, you know, they yeah. had a list if they have a medicine person. So pretty funny. I had some great stories. It kind of re- when I watched that movie, almost famous. It reminds me of that kid that did the Rolling Stone. He was doing oh, yeah. the article. Yeah. That's a great movie. That was sort of like, I did it for Hall and & Oates, and then when I moved to Colorado State, they called me and I did the Prince. It was when Prince was offering something to somebody. They were the 200th caller. They got to win um, a party in their own hometown for 200 of the closest friends, and it was trying to the sharing room that, for that tour. Oh, yeah. And... The girl that won was in Sheridan, Wyoming, and I was in Fort Collins, Colorado, and Joe called me and was like, can you go there and get her ready? She had no teeth. She was, you know, it was just kind of a nightmare. And so Prince <laughs> said he wasn't going to go. And Joe's like, can you please go and get her ready? And so I did, and, and we, had, we got great, great footage. It was just so much fun. Like, I got to do fun things because I'd worked in MTV, but I did not stay at MTV because when I graduated high school, Sorry, when I graduated Colorado State, I went to New York and started acting. Yeah, so, and also, you ended up winning winning some money on Wheel of Fortune. I did. My dad was sick um, with liver cancer. Actually, it was a small, it was a lyomyocyte sarcoma of the small bowel that moved to the liver. Anyway, um, I had, my aunt and uncle had come out to, Colorado, to California to try out for uh, Wheel of Fortune and Jeopardy. And, I'm, and, I, and I took them. And I'm like, I can't go into Jeopardy. I don't know enough. <laughs> but I went into Wheel of Fortune, and they're like, would you want to audition? And I'm like, no, no, no. And they're like, but that's it. And they're like, that's all you need to know. So come in. So I go in, and they called me to be on the show when I was in the hospital in Pittsburgh with my dad waiting for his liver transplant. Oh, wow. And um, I'm like, I, I, and my dad's like, go, so you got one out of three chances of winning. Go. And at this point, I was flying back and forth every two weeks. So I was like, even if I win a little something, it would help out with that. So, yeah, yeah I won $26,400 or something. Wow. But the best part about that is that my the final prize, it would have been a rail journey across Europe, and I wouldn't have gone anyway. But after I finished that day, and if you were local, you shot all your episodes in one day. So I'm, I'm sitting there waiting, and they knew that my dad had got his liver that morning, and I'm out here. And they wanted to tell me, but they said, let's not tell her till after, or she's not going to be able to play. 
So I'm standing there in the winter circle after just failing to get the word Virginia. Yeah. It was plates. And I had like the I and the A and the R, and that was it. And I'm like, um, Corbania? To which Pat Sajak said, if there was such a place, we would send you there. But there was not such a so it was Virginia, and I'm like, oh, my God, I'm from West Virginia. That'd be funny. Yeah. And um, right then, the, the credits are rolling, and Pat Sajak says to me, your father's liver came. He's, he started his 18-hour surgery. I'm like, ah, so I started crying. And So anyways, they let me come back and say that I wasn't crying because I won money. I was crying because my dad had just gone into surgery. So, of course, I flew right back to West Virginia, and he lived for, like, another year, but the cancer had moved. So oh. he... Yeah, but the liver transplant itself was successful. Okay. And when I went into medicine out here, I started my first internship at Hollywood Presbyterian. Lo and behold, I hear over the intercom, it was the doctor that had, he was just a fellow at the time, but he had done my dad's liver transplant. Oh, really? So like, yeah, full wow. circle. That's, that's ironic. Dr. So, so, how did As the World Turns come along? Um, I had just moved from New York to California, and I'm living in Los Angeles, and, uh, my dad had passed away, and now my grandmother was very, very sick, so I was flying back and forth, they were moved to New Jersey to be, be near my mom, I was flying back and forth, back and forth, and I got an audition for As the World Turns, and honestly... I knew from Passport in New York, I knew Mark Keschner, who was casting, now he cast General Hospital, but he, he was casting um, the spinoff for General Hospital, Port Charles. Right. And I went in to meet with them, but it was really early. And there was a whole table full of people. I mean, it was Lucy Johnson. It was all these people at the table. And um, they said, we really, really like you, but we're not quite ready to start casting, casting yet. As the World Turns came up, and I called Keshner, I'm like, do I audition or do I wait for Port Charles so I can stay in L.A.? He's like, no, you never passed up a screen test, you go. So I was in New Jersey anyway. I literally had very few, I had T-shirts, jeans, sneakers, everything smelled like urine from the hospital. They called me, and I was like, okay, I'll come. So I ran in, and I said, I, there was 10 girls auditioning, and I said, I need to be first up because I need to get back to my grandmother. So they let me go first, and they're like, do you want to change? I'm like, no, I don't care. I'm fine. I did my audition. I guess I did a good job, and yeah, I got really. it. Really? Yeah. So they, you... A lot of the actors later told me that they all knew. They're like, it's that girl that went first and needed to get back to her grandmother. She's going to get it, because that's all she was worried about. Wow. So what what was it like your first day on the set? Mm, I'm supposed to play a bad girl in prison, right? Yeah. Well, Leslie Kay is not a bad girl. <laughs> so, what Eileen Fulton came up and said to me the very first day, she's like, Leslie, let me tell you something. She goes, you play vulnerability and you can be as bad as you want. You can be the biggest bitch you want and everybody's going to love you. You just play that vulnerability. So, I didn't really think about playing vulnerable, but... It worked. I mean, I think her advice worked, but I think if you just bring honest to that, this is what I say to people all the time. Are you a bad person or a good person? And they're like, um, well, I mean, I think I'm a good person, but I've done this and this. I'm like, exactly. So I used to say Molly, Molly's not bad. She just misunderstood. Molly didn't think she was bad. I mean, like, you can't think you're a bad person. That's right. <laughs> so... It's everything you do has got to be justifiable. And in Molly's mind, she had Holden first. Yeah, and you get thrown right in in there working with, with two great legends of Arrow World Turns. Been there for a while with Martha Byrne and, and John Hensley. What was it like working with those two right from the start? Well, it was funny because Sean Christian actually auditioned me because John Hensley wasn't there that day. Right. So I thought Sean Christian was Holden. <laughs> so I go in and John Hensley comes up and he's like I'm your scene partner I'm playing hold I was like no you're not he's like no I am and I'm like mm, I don't think so he's like no I'm holding I'm like okay so that was 
my introduction to him and Martha took me under her wing right away. She was fantastic. And she immediately befriended me and took me out to her house and made sure that I was comfortable. And, um, Marcy liked to, you know, have people. She liked the party. So it was always a good time. But I remember I just started. And Martha, because she'd been doing this for so long, in dress rehearsal, she didn't really act, act. Sometimes, like, they even have their scripts in their hands. During, and I, I would come ready down to the floor or whatever. And they'd come out and give notes. And the director at the time, the female director, um, she comes down. Maria Wagner is her name. She comes down and she says, Marcy, I know you'll be there. You, I don't know what your name is. You're playing Molly. She goes, Molly is supposed to have a personality. And I'm like, oh. And I started crying. And I was very, very good friends with um, um, Gary Marshall. Oh, yeah. Uh, back, back in L.A. Gary Marshall of Laverne and Shirley. Yeah, and legend. Mindy, happy days, yeah. So he was planning to come to New York anyway, and I, I was on the plane, I was in tears. I'm like, you wouldn't believe this director says, she said I'm supposed to have a personality, and I don't know what that means, like the other girl wasn't really acting, so I didn't really, whatever. So I, so he's like, I'm going to be in New York next week, I go, perfect. So he came in while she was directing, and he sat in the booth. And every time she snapped her fingers to make a call with the cameras, he'd go, oh, and he would make all these noises. <laughs> and, um, yeah. From then forward, she and, she and I were really good friends. Oh, wow. We became really good friends. So, working, working that soap opera schedule, you know, I talked to a couple, couple of my guests before about how hard was it to just, you know, doing acting jobs. I, I think really, if you look at it, and no offense to, to get people that do movies or anything like that, but the soap operas, you have to do, you know, five shows, you know, you're doing five shows a week, and it's not like you've got months to to get this right i mean you you're pretty much on the spot what was it like adjusting to that schedule and that kind of you know doing that kind of filming um well you learn very quickly that you have to bring it um and do use all the choices that you think are best and don't let them be little choices make them big choices um because otherwise you'll have regrets on the way home. Going, oh, you'll think of things you should have done on the way home after it's already shot. But my favorite is I would, you know, Betty White played my grandmother on Bold and Beautiful. Oh yeah. And Betty Betty White came from sitcoms where you rehearse all week, and then you block, and then you dress rehearse, and then you bring in the audience, and then you tape. Right. So we were. She was on set, and at this point, we used to have block, then dress rehearsal, then tape. But at this point, we're just block tape block tape, block tape. And sometimes, now on Bold and Beautiful, we would block in the morning and just get your blocking real fast and then go straight to tape. So you go down the set and it was straight to tape. It, I think it still is because they got to go quickly because they 30-minute show they shoot two a day. Right. So, so Betty White, we're down there. We do the scene oh. once, right? And they're like, okay, moving on. She's like, wait, oh. She's like, well, that was a really good dress rehearsal. She said, so do you have any notes for me? And they're like, yeah, Betty, we're moving on. We already shot that scene. She didn't know. <laughs> <laughs> wow. I'm sure that was pretty awesome to be able to work with her, though. She's amazing. Yeah, Betty White is, is a legend. I mean, just can't say enough good Cousin things about her. Yeah, she's, she was, it, I mean, I've worked over the years on soaps. I got to work with so many really good people. Um, Boyd Gaines in New York, um, just so many good people. Kristen Chenoweth, um, on As the World Turns, she played a psychic, a mystic psychic that came in and worked with me for, because you had Broadway right there, we would get a lot of Broadway stars to come in and do guest appearances, right? right? So, it was pretty awesome. Yeah. I I love soaps. I, I really love the fast pace. I love shooting that quickly. I love not, hemming and hawing and spending too much time on something that you really get used to making those bold choices and going for it and memorizing it, running down, doing it. It's very exciting, you know. And so I kind of, I, I, I miss that because I think it's, you know, the operating room is kind of like that sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> Especially the ER. Um, and I like doing both, you know. I, I think that 
I would go back to Bold and Beautiful or Young and the Restless or General Hospital, but I think it would probably be most likely Young and the Restless or Bold and Beautiful. So you you work with, you talk about working with some great people. Another one that you, you work with and you had a pretty on-screen close relationship with, I don't know, that's what I'm going to ask about this, Maura West, Carly, you know, one of the, the, the bad girls, you know, comes out as a bad girl, you know, and kind of over the years back and forth, but what was it like working with Maura? It's funny you say that, because I was just, the last thing I was going to say, but I thought we're on CBS right now, so I wasn't going to say it, is that the only, the really good reason I would see to go to General Hospital is because I'd be able to work with Maura. I, I think that it would be fun to put Lois and her her character on General Hospital together. Um, just to let us work together as different characters, I think that'd be really fun. Oh, yeah. Sure. And I have somebody writing a Lifetime movie for us, actually. Oh, really? Um, if that answers your question. I absolutely love her. Um, she can be tough, but that's because she's a perfectionist. She's super smart, and um, we work together really well. Yeah. I mean, some people would say to me, you guys are such, are like the best couple on daytime. <laughs> <laughs> you guys did work really well together. You, you sure did. You complimented each other well. So then you, you kind of get, we talked a little bit about you starting out as the so-called bad girl. What was it like when you made that transition to playing somebody that, you know, people were, people like you, they didn't, they didn't, like my grandma would have cussed at Nicky Newman or anything like that, but, uh, but. Somebody that people really liked on the show. You took a, a, a more positive role. Wait, with whom? Did Sorry. you did you like playing? Which one did you would you rather play, the bad girl or the good girl? Oh God, bad! If you're going to categorize it as bad and good, <laughs> well, I would say bad because you've got so many places you can take that person. Um, if you're bad, you're going to get more interesting things to do. Right. And you and and you need to like you know I think that dark haired people are usually cast as bad, right? Right. And more and I kind of switched that up. I thought because I was kind of the dumb brunette and she was kind of the smart blonde. That was sort of like. <laughs> in fact, we did a photo shoot once where we switched. We wore little wigs and switched hair color. But I think that um, you know you have to be to be innocent comes across as naive comes across as not so smart. And I think that's what worked for Molly. Yeah. And you had, the, um, of course, the relationship with Jake. That helped That helped things out a lot. What was it like working with Tom Eplin? Um, Tom Eplin is interesting. And he's also from West Virginia. Oh, wow. Well, his parents are. He actually grew up in California, but his parents are from West Virginia. And um, we, I mean, like, we hang, hang out personally. So, it's, but as far as Jake, as far as, the, the character Jake that was the best thing that ever happened to Molly for sure yeah. because yeah. well that's what won me an Emmy and yep. it was absolutely working with him it was working with him because he was the I always say he's the kind of actor that when you knew the camera wasn't on you he would wipe your snot away with his fingers so when the camera came back he wouldn't have snot running down your face <laughs> that's, that's who he was that's pretty cool so you, you end up after he gets, I guess, killed off is what you call it, uh, the show. You kind, you kind of, <laughs> yeah, you kind of go in, you know, different storylines, nothing real, real big, and, and you end up leaving as the world turns. What, what facilitated you going to General Hospital? Well, what happened is, okay, so they did bring me Mike. Mark Collier. Oh, yeah. I and I worked with that. Right. And I worked with him, and I would carry around Jake's ashes everywhere. But it is hard to go from such a powerful relationship with the character with such a big personality, like Tom Eflin played Jake, right? It's hard to go from that to nothing, which I knew on the day he left. Like, I mean, I was I was in tears because he was being killed, but I was in tears because I was just it was just horrifically sad because I'm like, now I'll go back to being that, like, funny foil, right? So, um, I wasn't unhappy. I wasn't unhappy at As the World Turns in any stretch. I would have stayed and waited for the next big story. It was, I was in the middle of the story, actually. I was locked in an elevator, right? And I, 
I wasn't sitting at home. I was in the middle of a story, and I asked out of my contract to switch to General Hospital. Honestly, I was trying to save a marriage. My ex had been killed off the show, and he was miserable in New York and wanted to be in L.A., and I was like, I saw an opportunity. It was like, Lois, I can play Lois. I, people think I'm Rena Sofer all the time. Like, I, I think <laughs> I can do this. And I heard they were casting. A, a friend of mine in New York said she was auditioning for Lois on General Hospital. They're bringing the character back, blah, blah, blah. So I called Mark Teschner, and I said, hey, he said, aren't you in the middle of a contract? I said, yes. He said, you can't audition. I'm like, we can make this happen. I know we can make this happen. And it had never before been done, but I did switch over a weekend. I came in, auditioned behind the back door, so nobody knew I was there in case I didn't get it because I was in the middle of a contract. It has a little turn. crazy. But I got it, and, um, yeah, I switched over a weekend, and they recast Molly for a brief blip, and I don't even know, somebody, I don't know her name, and, and it didn't work out, and then I ended up getting, I mean, God is good. God is real good, because I got yeah. the gift of being able to come back and finish Molly, which was great. Yeah. But in doing so, Brad Bell did take me off contract and put me on recurring, and I saw the handwriting on the wall that that was not going to go back to contract. So I, that's when I took the opportunity to go back to school. I'm like, if I don't go back to school now with the handwriting on the wall, then I'm never going to. Right. So I was valedictorian. Oh, go on, girl. <laughs> yeah. So you did with all the 20-year-olds? <laughs> hey, I, I got nothing but respect for somebody that goes back after, you know, you know, a lot of people, I have, I have a cousin that's like, uh, just a few credit hours short of a degree and it has not gone back yet and uh he's probably in his 50s now so he he thinks he's too old but you know never too old to no. get back never too old absolutely not i might i might go back and finish and get my uh pa actually because i'm just i could do two more years i think and get it but i've been working as a first assistant plastic surgery in beverly hills and then i also do a lot of spine surgery, and so I got into repping spine fusion instrumentation implants at UCLA. I mean, I'm kind of everywhere. And then, of course, I asked. But my, my dream would be to quit all that. I've done it. I'm good at it. I know I can do it. And go back to soaps and die on the soap opera. That would be my dream. <laughs> well, so, maybe I'll... How did you get it get uh, on Bowling the Beautiful? Because you took over a role... Felicia Forrester that had been pretty much dead for a year and they were talking about not even having it back but somehow you got on the show and then they were going to it looked like they were going to kill you off anyway with the cancer story right? but you <laughs> you ended up being so good that she recovered and you end up going on for, for a while with, with Bo the Beautiful. That right there should tell you something right there. A soap opera star that, that somehow recovers from getting ready to get killed off the show it looks like and you recover. Uh, you must have been doing a great job with Bold and Beautiful. How was it on Bold and Beautiful? Well, they became my new family beyond belief. Like, Susan Flannery and John McCook were my parents. They just were. And it was kind of immediate. And uh, those guys, Windsor and Ron, were my brothers. Like, it just felt very... Mm, from, from minute one, it felt like we were family. So... It didn't, I didn't feel like I was replacing Colleen. I didn't feel like, because I'd never even seen Colleen play Felicia, which was good, because yeah. I didn't want to. I just wanted to do my own thing. Um, it was nothing so iconic, like how Rena played Lois, you know? So there, there was nothing so um, out of this world about Felicia that I couldn't just go in, and I feel like I could just take the role. And plus, she had not been on for a while. Really? No disrespect to Colleen, because I think she's great, but she hadn't been there in a while. I know they had tried to get her back. It didn't work out. So it wasn't like, you know, it was kind of like with her blessing. It wasn't like, you know, stealing something from somebody. But anyway, I went. I had just had Alec, my now 15-year-old, and General Hospital wrote me out and basically fired me while I was pregnant. They didn't, I mean, they did. They fired me while I was pregnant. So wow. I waddled my pregnancy. <laughs> I waddled my pregnant butt into Brad Bell, and I asked for a meeting, and he said, as soon as the baby comes out, like, let's talk. And it was much, Michael Bruno, my, my soap manager at the time, was like, um, just wait, just wait. But, you know, go in and talk. So, no, 
Alec was out. I had a C-section. I was in the hospital for two days. I didn't even go home. I took him and me, and I went straight to CBS and into Brad Bell's office. And hence, Felicia was written back with a baby boy. <laughs> I think that's how he saw me. But it, the meeting was about something else, actually, and a different role. And and he saw Felicia, and it was you know he saw Felicia with a baby boy. And so that that was when it, that that was the magic that happened. And then yes, I was supposed to come on to finish that cancer story that they were trying to do with Colleen. I think she just didn't come back for it. So I I was coming on to die. We knew this. It was like a three-month thing, and I was going to come on and die of cancer. But I I never thought that. I don't know why. Like, the minute I got there, I'm like, no, I'm just like, I don't, in my head, I was on contract. Like, I'm like, this is not going anywhere. And then I guess people, fans wrote in, and, and people were happy, and I think my family there went to bat for me, but um, it was actually Bridget, the girl that plays Bridget. Um, Ashley Jones said to me, Brad was talking about having you live, and I won't say who, but a certain person went up and said, no, no, she's done such a good job. She's done such a good job of dying that we have to let her die because she's really sold it. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> wow, thanks. Once I heard that, yeah. Once I heard that, I went straight up to Brad. We had a conversation. Next thing you know, I got four dozen white roses that said, Felicia lives, I'm thrilled, love Brad. Wow, that's pretty awesome there. And I, ha- I have that card. I'll keep it forever. Cause, you know, even though he didn't write me back in, and he hasn't in the past, whatever, five years or more, um, I will never forget what what he did at that time for me, for my career, for for everything so I really appreciate I think he probably appreciates I shaved my head bald for them but you sure did. I appreciate that <laughs> yes I did um, but I appreciate which I used to call Mario Lopez shaved by the bell <laughs> that's pretty cool though so then and, you- I, I, and I was I was saved by the bell Brad Bell so it was like I got you I got you so you end up yeah. working as the world turns, because you, you come back as Molly for a while, and Bold and Beautiful at the same time. How did that work? Well, I just flew back and forth. Everyone thought I had moved to New York, but I didn't. I was just flying there for a couple of days. I would take one son with me, fly there. Brett, uh, Chris Gautman made this happen. He really did. He, he, took, he took it upon his own bank account, even, I think. But like, um, And he had an extra apartment in his building, so I would stay there. Um, but I would come in, I would shoot like five episodes, leave, come back in a couple of days with another kid, shoot a few episodes, go back, switch kids, come back. <laughs> I mean, I just did that for nine months. And I thought that was hard. <laughs> then when I went back to school, I'm like, oh, no, no, this is hard. Like, that was nothing. Sitting my ass on an airplane learning lines is like, that's a gift. That was a gift. <laughs> that was like easy compared to going back to school for medicine. Like, crazy. Yeah. But, um... But I will say it it that which doesn't kill you makes you stronger and I would come back and I was shooting some bold and beautiful at the time, but Brad really wasn't. Like I don't know. I think the minute that I stepped foot on Jet Blue, he kinda had me out of his mind. And um I feel like even though I said to him what had happened, I said, If going back and finishing as will turn to meaning you're gonna get rid of Alicia, then I'm not. I'm not going to do it. And he's like, No, 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 no. Everything's fine. <laughs> but it wasn't. And so, um, so yeah. So then there was the writers' strike, and Josh Griffith crossed me over to Young and the Restless, which I loved. I loved being Felicia over there with the Newman Empire because it kind of made sense. Yeah. And um, but then the writers' strike ended, and that story got pulled. Barbara Bloom just yanked the story and everybody felt bad but that was that so I, I it was not it was a great story that never got to be done but maybe it will be eventually yeah maybe so maybe so, you'll get Kyle back in right well Josh Griffith is there now so you never know so for of course God like God like gets canceled goes off the air and then as the world turns was next what was it like when you found out as the world turns was was going off the air 
that was gut wrenching. I was there. That was horrible. It was right before Christmas, also. Oh. The guy from Procter and Gamble, the one that ended up, he also got kicked out of running the VA. That guy um, comes and lies to everybody and says that we're going off of CBS, but he's trying to sell it to own. And that was, and then I caught him in the stairwell right after he announced that to everybody. And I said, "Are you really trying to shop?" the show or are you killing it and he looked me in the eyes and he said well I said no are you really trying to shop the show or are you killing it he said killing it so he just lied to everybody so they wouldn't go home sad for Christmas I guess but wow. shit people don't know <laughs> well, actually that's why I love this right here I mean you, you're telling me stuff right there and this is making me really really not like Procter and Gamble I did I didn't really care for him to start with but I just just sending me over the edge. Sending me over the edge here. Uh, so, I mean, it, it's it's just, I guess, I, since I grew up with it and grew up watching it, I, I, in the afternoon, it just doesn't feel the same anymore after, what, you know, Bold and Beautiful goes off. You you were used to that 2 o'clock to 3 o'clock when As the World Turns and 3 to 4 guy like Now you got people up there, no offense to talk shows, but I'm about sick of talk shows right now. I've heard enough talk. I like to see something like this, and uh, but yeah, it's just. I guess I'm just. Over it would be nice. It would. It would be nice to come full circle and have CBS realize that people are tired of four women sitting around yelling at each other. Um, exactly. Again, nothing against the talk. Nothing against the talk taking off as the world turns, but because I love those women, but uh, personally, I just don't like that format. I think it's just annoying. It's it. It feels like loud. Just just white noise. It's terrible, and and I think that, you know, The View is what sort of started it, and they saw yeah. they could have giant ratings for very little money, except for what you end up paying your talent. There's nothing, right? There's no sets. There's no set changes. There's no, you know, barely wardrobe. So it's a, it's a much pared down financially speaking. It's a much cheaper way to make a lot of money because the viewership and the uh, ad, the ad space was crazy for them so they saw oh we can take talk when they took off I think it was Sunset Beach and stuck on a talk with they, that's when we all knew we were screwed all right because right. then as well turns went off and the talk came on and we're like okay this is just that's that's what's going to happen but you're right it should come like enough of that <laughs> I mean nothing against talk shows but every, it seems like everybody's got a talk show now I mean it's Right. I, I I mean, please. I'm I'm sorry, but I would. Look, I'll tell you this too. And I talked about I talked about my grandma, but I I worked at a years ago. I worked at a hardware store. It's a small town hardware store, and when we did repairs on stuff, but when 12:30 came, repairs were done. We ate lunch. We watched Young and the Restless, and we watched whatever else you know. As the world turns after that, like that, just like it with my grandma, from 12:30 to 4, we didn't do repairs. We just waited on customers, and then it, we did it as quick as we could so we could get back to watching the soap opera. I know the owner of the store will hate to hear me say that, but he was one of them too. So he he was the same way with me too. But uh, talk a little bit. I, I, I'm gonna I'm not gonna take up too much more of your time. What were some of your favorite storylines? You know, if you had to pick some. Well, clearly the ghost story, the one I won the Emmy for. Oh, was, yeah. Yeah. I mean, nobody would think that would be such a big story. But, um, I think again, I think it's the heart of the matter, the way we played it, and Hogan Shepard's writing, honestly. Like, that guy, oh, may he rest in peace. But, like, he would take, he came from the film world. So, he would bring film quality writing, like, to that to that ghost story to his to, to his greatness it wouldn't have worked if he if he had not been writing it I mean you know ghost story is a ghost story but when you have the luxury of having Vicky and Jake who had you know people loved on another world right um, when you have that being the heart of it and then you throw Molly into the mix who wasn't resentful who really wanted to help him find these girls like it just to me there was a lot of heart in that and um, showed that Molly wasn't, like, jealous 
and stupid and I don't know. I just I love that for Molly. I love that story. Even though it technically wasn't my story, right? It was Vicky and Jake's story. But it it felt like mine. I mean I made everything my own, but it just that was also a big credit to Tom Eflin. He made it mine, you know. And um so I would say that and I would say the cancer story obviously. Oh, it yeah. was the same cancer dad had. And oh, come wow. to find out. I said, did they look up my life history? Because <laughs> I had, I had, um, Felicia had stage four liver cancer, but it started in the small bowel. So it was colon cancer that, that moved to the liver, just like my father's. And it was a liver transplant, just like my father's. And coming back from stage four, people were like, you couldn't do that. I'm like, my dad did with a liver transplant, you know. But I think that, it was the writer, Patrick. Patrick's mom had gone through the same cancer with the same liver doctors at Pittsburgh, in Pittsburgh. So it was just ironic that he knew sure. what I went through. So, so he, it was it was me getting to sort of play out what my dad went through. And the night before, they were going to shave my head the next day. Finishing up work. I'm laying in a hospital bed with hospital gown on, finishing up some scenes with Susan Flannery. And... Before, before my dad died in, in life, in real life, um, right before getting, I just moved to California. He helped me drive here. We did not stop at the Grand Canyon, which would have been two hours out of our way. He was in a rush to get back to work. I was in a rush to get to Los Angeles. and We didn't stop at the Grand Canyon. Neither one of us had ever been there. On his deathbed, he squeezed my hand, and he said, Les, don't ever pass up the Grand Canyon. Meaning literally and figuratively, right? Don't right. pass up anything. And um, so I'm laying there, and we have we shoot prices right right next door to Bold and Beautiful and Young and the Restless. It's all right there on the same floor at CBS. And so prices right, their props would go flying by all the time. That was not nothing, you know. That was nothing new. But it's like 7 p.m. I'm coming out of the stage, and I'm like, Dad, please give me a sign that I'm doing the right thing by shaving my head bald, like pretty drastic, right? I'm like, please give me a sign. And I walked out, and I literally walked smack into this giant Price is Right billboard of the Grand Canyon. Wow. Yeah, and I'd never seen that one before. I asked the stagehand guys, I'm like, is this a new one? They're like, yeah, yeah, we just made it. If that wasn't so, a sign, then uh, I don't know what, what, what would be. <laughs> right, a literal one. I was like, I literally walked smack into this big time. I'm like, okay. So then I got nominated for that story, which was very nice. But Jeannie Francis came back for like three weeks and it's before they had the uh, guest star category for the daytime Emmys. And so she won her first Emmy and I was very happy she did because I love her. And I used to watch Luke and Laura. So, you know. Yep. If you're going to be beat by somebody, you want it to be her. That's right. But, um, but it was a great story and I got to work with, again, great people and I got to be friends with become friends with Mario uh, Lopez who I adore there was just so many good positive things but the biggest was there was this girl named Rose she um, she had cancer she was a lawyer practicing lawyer she um, Armenian descent her family reached out to me she reached out to me and said that sitting home watching Felicia live from stage 4 colon cancer metastasized the liver was giving her hope. And so I befriended her, and I ended up getting a story written about her in the book magazine, and also I took her to the Emmys when I was nominated for that story. That's pretty she awesome. She passed away after that, but she got to do all that. So, you know, I feel like that story was very poignant, and that was my other favorite story. Right. Yeah, you talk about Mario Lopez. Mario Lopez, I'm a huge say by the Bell guy from day one. From day yeah. one. We had, no, no lie, when, when my wife, when we first got married, the way we knew what time it was to go to work in the morning was on TBS, they used to show Say by the Bell from like 7 to 8, and she would ask, is it first Say by the Bell or second? And I was, you know, first, we watched it every morning. I, of course, love Say by the Bell, and we passed that on to our daughter. But talk a little bit about, now I'll let you go, winning that Daytime Emmy Award. What, what, kind, what was the feeling like when you found out you won that award? Um, well, it was funny because, mm, okay, this is another kind of long story. I'll, I'll tell it briefly. That's fine. You tell it all the time. Year, you want to. Year, years ago, 
when I just moved to New York out of college, so I was like 21, and I came on just as like a day player that got bumped up to an under five on Ryan's Hope. I think it was Ryan's Hope or one like that. And it was Ryan's Hope. And this girl, um, Lisa's her first name. I won't out her last name. But she she was a pretty big star on the show, and I was in, they put me in the makeup chair because I was going to have an under five. And she came in and said, get this leap, leap, leap out of the makeup chair. This is my makeup chair. And I need to be sitting here, not some stupid extra. And it made me feel so little. Like, I went back to the dressing room, and I was crying, and whatever. Cut to 2001, and we're at the, they always had the uh, Creative Craft Awards, like, the night or two nights before the actual televised daytime Emmys, Sorry. where we give a lot of the other awards, the ones that weren't televised. And I was presenting at that, and she was there, and she came up to me. Of course, she did not recognize me from years ago, and uh, uh, she's now uh, a Christian, and she's now sober and everything else. And she came up to me, and she took me hand. she introduced herself, and she said, I judged your category, and you're going to win. Get your speech ready. And I was like, well, if this girl said it, <laughs> who I knew couldn't stand me, I maybe better go work on a speech like that. And but the Emmys were the next day, and I won. So you know, I that was the first thought that I even had in my head that I could win was that night. So that's pretty. That's pretty awesome. You, you look. You told me some great stories tonight. You know, and gosh, uh, I just uh, I've really enjoyed this. But uh, I'm not going to take up any more of your time. Thank you so much. Good luck with maybe going back to school again. Uh, with whatever you do, hopefully we'll see you back on TV again soon. I'm, I'm, I'm going to keep, I'm going to keep in touch with you about that Lifetime movie with you and Mara. I want, I want, uh, I want to see that. I don't, my wife watches Lifetime all the time, so I know somehow, some way, I'll, I'll be able to see that. So, uh, yeah, I'll, I'll let you know. Yeah, I'll keep you posted yeah, via just, the, the Facebook or whatever we do, but I'll keep you posted. Yeah, well, thank you so much for taking time out of your schedule to do this. I really appreciate, it. guys. That is Miss Leslie Kay on the fly.